Welcome to Tech Talk Nation, talking about the latest tech, industry news, and hot topics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website at techtalknation.com. Good evening and welcome to Tech Talk Nation. I'm your host, Matt Fitzgerald, and tonight we have a great show for you coming up. It is episode 24 of Tech Talk Nation, and we have a lot of cool news coming your way right after this. We got some news from Apple. We got some news from the chip shortage and some implications from that. We have a lot of news on the video communications industry and a lot of stuff that's been changing there. Some cool new devices rolling out, a bunch of news on cool EVs, and our obligatory NFT articles. But we also have a cool article coming for you at the end of the show today, so stick around and, wa and uh, wait for us to get to that one. It is an oldie but a goodie, and uh, the uh, title of this episode is going to allude a lot to that. So without further ado... We have two of our regular contributors on the show today. We have Grizzlow and Ryan Eastman here with us today. Um, we are super happy to have you as usual and uh, hoping to have a great episode today, guys. How are you? Ryan? Ozzy, let you go first. I'm, I'm doing well, you know? I'm feeling like, good, ready to talk about things in a family-friendly manner. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing but love between me and Ryan. We go way back. <laughs> I'm definitely not. Uh, I'm also not. Stuff. I'm not vertical today, which is good. We somehow fixed that. Yeah, definitely. And I am glad we fixed some other stuff too. This is try number three here today, uh, trying to get this episode running. For some reason, my my software on my end just decided to disconnect my microphone completely. So uh, we were just kind of like talking to ourselves, and I couldn't hear anything. So it was one of those things where it's like we had to restart it, and then it happened again. Uh, so we are here now, everything is working, and uh, we are looking forward to getting right into the news today. So the first article we have for you today is about Apple's AirTags, how uh, they were hacked, quote, again. And uh, Grizzlo, you sent this one in. You want to kind of uh, explain a little bit? Yeah, um, so AirTags came out um, fairly recently, and so people are getting their hands on these devices and trying to hack into them, see you know what they can do, what they can improve. Um, people have tried drilling into them to add you know key rings or whatever. Um, but there's this person uh, who's found a way to uh, send data over uh, over <laughs> over the AirTag. Um, it's it's a highly highly technical uh, article here. Um, Fitz, Ryan, you guys probably know more about this than me, um, at least from the, the coding and the back-end standpoint. Um, do you guys want to kind of go over that uh, aspect of it? Sure. Basically, uh, long story short, it, I, was, I was reading this article a little bit, and basically they were going into kind of how the architecture for um, the AirTag and find my infrastructure works. So um, when you're encrypting something, you send two things. You send a public key um, and usually an identifier um, of that device. So like your public key is generally what the server on the other side will know that uh, it's you and then they decrypt a private key and then establish a connection. Basically what this article was doing is uh, intercepting those private keys and working with them. Uh, 
So not a huge security risk uh, from what I can see, um, but definitely interesting to see nonetheless. It gives us a glimpse into how Apple's architecture works. Ryan? <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm enjoying... Uh... I'm enjoying reading through all the hexadecimal numbers. I, hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting what the guy managed to pull off. He's spoofing basically public keys to Apple and then getting it to respond uh, to that, to like the usual find my stuff with it, which is really impressive. I can't imagine how long he had to sit there and just like, read through binary going past him in order to figure out what was going on with all this. Right. Because there's, there's a, uh, the way you kind of establish this information is what's called a man in the middle attack where basically you're here's you, here's the server you're trying to connect to. And then in the middle, there's something that the, your thing thinks is the server. So it thinks it's connecting to the server. It's really connecting to you or your, your, uh, nefarious laptop or something and stab basically tracking everything that's going through that laptop. So uh, like pulling, pulling the traffic and decrypting it and showing you what's, what's kind of going on. So I'm sure that's what they did here. They, they established some sort of man in the middle. Um, they were able to see all of the, the traffic between the two uh, servers or the, the device and Apple servers, and then kind of reverse engineer it in a way. And that's, that's really cool to see. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's terrible in terms of uh, efficiency. Uh, it clocks in at about 20 bits per second. Uh, a normal internet speed to get is about, uh, give or take, 15 or 20 million bits a second. Just about. So, yeah. It doesn't work well, but it's really cool what he did manage to pull off with it, though. Right, definitely. And one of the other cool things, too, is... <laughs> that article was very technical, uh, but they also oh, linked yeah. to this this uh, article on positive security, um, basically going into much more detail from the technical point of view, and how they actually did it and all that stuff. So if you if you're very technical on this stuff, I really uh, recommend giving this a read. It, it's super interesting. A lot of stuff like that and. Um, very cool to kind of see see what's going on uh so uh yeah that that's awesome that they were able to to get that done yeah if you if you're into this kind of stuff highly recommend reading the uh the article and then the uh attached uh in the links in the article that that attached basically white paper as you can tell i'm not really a, an expert on this subject matter so i'm really glad i've got two co-hosts that are are pros on this and in the pre-show they were raving and ranting about uh who knew who knew what and who took what class to know all this information and i was just sitting here thinking i did not take any of those classes i didn't need to <laughs> it's a slippery slope uh yeah it, it's that's ah, okay i don't know how batteries work <laughs> <laughs> it's fair it's fair that is fair but but do you know how speakers work in our next article here, uh, we got a veteran Apple designer, uh, Christopher Stringer here, 
uh, design. He unveiled a seven, an eighteen hundred dollar speaker. It's supposedly the world's first triphonic speaker. And long story short, uh, cool looking speaker. If you think so, um, kind of. It's 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 interesting and. Um, well, well, we'll see. It's it's definitely unique in its design here. It's uh, quite a crazy expensive speaker. I thought my $300 or whatever, $200 Bluetooth speaker was expensive. Try uh, $1,800. Yeah. Um, it's also you can tell got... I used to work at Apple. Oh, oh, but that's not the best part. Because... <laughs> For that price tag? <laughs> Took me a second, but I got that. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, cost, it cost $1,800. Uh, but the stand cost was it two hundred seventy? Uh, let's see. I remember reading that like one seventy. I think one seventy. So I was off by a hundred. But yeah. still, it's, it's about eighteen hundred. It's like nineteen sixty nine. Here's the device, and then if you want the stand, you got to pony up a bit more. You see up what they did with the uh, Pro XDR display. Apple did. Um, but yeah, this is a really cool speaker. Um, they've got a lot of cool like you know technology and just kind of design language to it. Uh, people that designed this came from Apple, Facebook, um, I can't remember what other companies, uh, Nest, Ring, uh, Nike, Facebook. Um, so they were all engineers and designers on this project. Um, and if you put three in a room, it's supposed to be far better than uh, surround sound audio. So uh, I guess if people end up buying this, if anyone does... Uh, and makes a video. We'll, we'll see how how it works. It's got uh, AirPlay too, as well as Spotify Connect over Wi-Fi, um, and some other USB-C ports and connectivities uh, for peripherals and stuff. So, yeah, really expensive, uh, really kind of boutique um, speaker. It's a cool centerpiece and a talking point, but I don't see myself ever spending that kind of money on a speaker. I don't know about you guys. I mean, never. No. Uh, if, if I were running a music production company, like that would be a different story. Like I'd want arguably the best of the best. And this isn't even like, targeted at that. Right. Exactly. And that, that's what kind of makes me interested at least in a little bit of like, why? Because in pro audio, you can go from like bottom of the barrel to like the best you could possibly get. And you could be dropping a good, yeah. like 10 grand for a pair of, uh, of, uh, studio monitors, but like this isn't targeted toward that and I, it's it's hard to tell to who it's targeted towards just trendy people who want an expensive talking piece i guess people who live in san francisco <laughs> oh, yeah. i don't know there's a market I mean, the there's thing... obviously a market for it someone wanted it so yeah who knows? i mean the thing with like if you work in a a uh, audio studio uh, speakers and headphones tend to clock in a lot cheaper than like quality microphones anyway. Right. right. So like for 1700 bucks, you can still get like, I don't know. There's plenty of uh, studio monitors that are 700 a piece for each one. Oh yeah. And I get that this is surround sound and all that. It's supposedly, you know, it maps a room with microphones and all that, like a lot of stuff does this day. But I don't really know if that's uh, seventeen hundred dollars worth. Eighteen hundred, seventeen ninety. Eighteen. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Nineteen. Almost two K if you want the stand. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I. I'm sure someone wants it just to have it though, because people, you know. 
people are people. Yeah, I mean, they'll spend money cool to spend looking, money. It's a cool looking like industrial piece, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, it fits a it fits a room, a certain type of room. It wouldn't fit my room. It also wouldn't fit my budget. Um <laughs> I mean you can Yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah. I, I, I try I'm trying to defend it. I'm like, I have no clue what I'd even say. But I'm trying to figure out how to make a speaker that'll map rooms using audio now. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, one thing you can do with that speaker is listen to some cool music on Apple Music here. Uh, they, announced, they announced spatial audio with Dolby Atmos. Uh, bring lossless audio to their entire catalog. And for all those audiophiles out there, that is wonderful news for people. So um, definitely will be well, interested. It's it's wonderful news if you have a Apple uh, Music account. Not so much if you've got uh, Spotify. True. True. And that's and this and that's a sticking point, right? So now you know uh, Apple's competitor is you know doesn't stack up to to, to what they they're providing. Um, and so if Spotify responds to this. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do. And actually, a really big point to this. Uh, um, this rollout of their lossless uh, high fidelity audio is that it's going to be in Jan or I'm sorry in June, and at no additional cost. Hmm. You don't have to have an uh, added subscription. You don't have to pay an additional fee. You get uh, hi-fi um, audio for no additional cost, and so that I think is a really really uh, competitive kind of advantage now that Apple Music has to Spotify. Now I prefer Spotify. Um, I like the the UI, I like, you know, the sort of culture around playlists there. Um, I, I haven't really given Apple Music a chance, but just because I like what I've got, I wouldn't want to switch. Um, but I'm curious if anyone that's in the Spotify community right now would consider uh, switching over to Apple Music with this new free feature, basically. Huh. I have a very different view on this feature. I think it's largely pointless. Go uh, on. <laughs> I would bet dollars to donuts, 90 to 95% of people now anyway, especially because no one has headphone jacks anymore. Like oh, there's yeah. what, two phones out that still have headphone jacks, like the Xperia something. And I think one of Asus's new phones have headphone jacks and that's about it. So you already, it, you're not getting the, you're not getting lossless audio because it has to get compressed to get sent over Bluetooth. Hmm. So for right. almost everyone, kind of useless. And then for people who still use wired headphones one way or the other, I don't know if you're going to have headphones that have the frequency response to actually benefit from lossless audio. Right. Hmm. E yeah. Very good point there too, especially yeah. if you're yeah. using wired headphones and you have like a little dongle or whatever on a on a phone that's got a yeah it's a funny word uh, yeah, yeah uh but you're you got a, a digital audio converter in there and that's converting whatever's coming from it into audio so you could go for the the two dollar one that you could just get at the store and it'll do the same job but the 
like the real, real expensive ones may actually have that feature, but you're going to have to have that upfront cost to actually be able to listen yeah. to the music in that lossless high quality. Yeah. And mobile ones are generally cheap anyway. So any decent pair of headphones is not going to uh, be driven properly by them because you won't be able to match uh, the impedance of the headphones, which is how you get ideal audio. Yeah. That being well, said, there is probably like, I don't know how, what percentage of Apple music users are like people who are really into like the headphone and like audio space or like producers and all that. But everyone who has like their own like digital audio converters and like interfaces and all that will benefit from that a ton. Oh, yeah. You'll oh, yeah. really get to hear a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Definitely. For anyone who does have all that, I recommend listening to Rosanna and Bohemian Rhapsody to hear a bunch of highs and lows you didn't know you could hear. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to have to try that. I kind of wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Those cool. are two phenomenal songs. Yeah, honestly. They, yeah, they both have really long. Well, what they're really good for is because they both have such, like, a huge range in highs and lows. So you can hear a lot yeah. of different parts. Bohemian well, Rhapsody, especially. I mean, they're yeah. all over the map there. Yeah. The audio map. Exactly. Definitely. Well, <laughs> another thing that we wanted to uh, talk about real quick here is Chipolo's one spot tracker uh, available with a find my integration undercutting air tags. Um, this was one thing that we were um, just kind of taking a look at a little earlier. Uh, Grizzlo, you sent in this article uh, and you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, actually, I, I think you're laughing, I, I understand, but, um, and it's a funny name, I think Chipolo too, right? Oh, yeah, I'm laughing because I misread it and I thought it said Chipotle. <laughs> I did no, too, so, 100% so, when I saw that the first time. So, like I said at the beginning of the show, Apple um, debuted their new uh, smart tags or smart trackers um, last month and now uh, are, are selling them uh, for $29 a piece. And Chipolo is selling their smart tracker for $28 a piece. So, they're also. Um, they're undercutting Apple's bomb dollar by, by $1. Um, mm. Not only that, but it integrates in the Find My Network, and it's one of the, I think they said, the only ones that it does. Um, and so now the only feature that uh, the Chipolo tracker doesn't have over the AirTag is that compass feature where you can uh, ping the tag, and then with your iPhone, it'll basically show you a compass and then um, a sort of like uh, distance gauge so if you get closer to your air tag the distance thing goes down and then the compass shows you where you're going to try and track the tag well that feature is phenomenal but the problem is it only works if you have an iphone 11 or newer iphone 11 uh iphone 11 pro and then any of the iphone 12s which means that this feature which is really really nice and something that i would like to take advantage of um i can't take advantage of it because my phone is too old my phone's so old it has uh, the button. Um, and so this is actually, it, it seems like a very kind of like, you know, forget about it type of thing where it's like, oh, another product, whatever. Well, if you have a phone that's older than an iPhone 11 and you've been thinking about getting an AirTag, um, this might be an alternative for you, not only because um, you can use it with a Find My Network, but also something I didn't mention, it has a key ring hole. So you can put it on your key ring, you can put it on any sort of uh, little, 
uh, circular metal, you know, whatever. You attach your keys, bags, luggage, anything. Your heart out, Tim Cook. Yeah. So <laughs> this this stupid little tag that is you thought was named Chipotle um, is actually you know something that is going to be competitive with Apple. And not only that, with the one uh, the one uh, chip or the one tag that's twenty eight dollars, opposed to Apple's twenty nine. They're selling a four pack for I believe ninety dollars. Yeah, ninety dollars and uh, and free shipping. So they're they're going after Apple hard here, and Apple let them in their gates uh, with Find My Network too. Yeah, I thought it was forty dollars. Apparently, I'm wrong. And and actually, another important thing to remember here: the, yes, the AirTag is twenty nine dollars, but the AirTag does not have anything to attach itself to anything else. It doesn't have a key hole or anything. Yep. So you have to buy another. $30 or $25 accessory. So after it's all said and done, just like that speaker with its stand, like over $50 um, or $40 to $50 for, for one air tag. And uh, this company is asking for $28 and you're going to get every feature that is on the air tag minus the compass feature. But then again, if you don't have a phone that can take advantage of, uh, of those capabilities because of, uh, I won't believe it's uh, the U1 chip um, in the iPhones, then you you could go with this cheaper alternative and be just as happy. Hmm. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. I mean, definitely something that we're going to have to keep an eye on as uh, they they roll out. I mean, I'd love to see more competition in the space. I love I love the fact of like tracking and stuff like that. I like asset tracking. I think that it's that is so cool and that's where my my research actually is well actually grizzlo your and my research is uh so yeah basically um all all that stuff it's it's yeah. going to be definitely interesting to see yeah i was hoping with the departure of johnny ives uh apple might start making products a little more user friendly from a hardware standpoint but uh no 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 keychain hole nope well, they don't. Have... I think in a future iteration they could add it, and it wouldn't be hard. Especially as people have proven, if no, they drill holes themselves. Can, yeah, if you drill into a certain uh. portion of it, which I, I don't know where it is, but you can uh, you could basically put on a keyring. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, let's hope that they can uh, keep up the production for them, uh, because the next story we have is about the chip shortage, um, and basically, in case you. Everybody doesn't know there is a computer chip shortage right now due to the pandemic and COVID-19 and all of that fun stuff. Uh, long story short, um, a lot of the chip manufacturers decided that they wanted to make the more expensive computer chips uh, rather than the ones that are the bread and butter um, that are like 50 cents or 70 cents or something like that. And that's having a trickle-down effect now to the consumers and all the prices for things. Like, high-end TVs are 30% higher uh, than they were last summer. And uh, this article actually goes into pretty good detail from Wired. Uh, thank you to them for writing this. Uh, but basically, they said, like, voltage regulators using countless products that normally cost 50 cents have been selling for as much as $70. That is a stretch. Uh, I don't think that is fully true. But you get the point. Uh, the components that make these bigger products are getting more expensive. And we're starting to see that, that trickle down to the end consumer of these manufactured goods. So it stinks. I'm glad I bought a TV in January. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I, I haven't really done a ton of research into it, and all I've been hearing is chip shortage, chip shortage, chip shortage. Um, seeing something like that, where it's a very tangible number that I can, you know, see in my head, or at least understand in my head, 30% increase in cost, that's a big chunk of change. Um, and at least from what the article has said, it's not going to go away, this chip shortage, anytime soon. Um, and it could be as much as, you know, a year to two years before we really kind of see this thing settle down and uh, sort of normalize in terms of chip production. Um, but yeah, it, it, it impacts anything with a screen, basically, which is most electronics that, or consumer electronics that people use. Oh, and a ton more. Yeah. And a lot more. Um, yeah. So I, I hope that, in, you know, with the phones coming out, um, at least iPhones in September, um, and I mean, not just Apple, consumer electronics all the time coming out, um, people are talking about raising their prices. Um, there was a company that said that they may have to raise prices or at least stop with their sales um, because it's starting to take a hit to their bottom line. And that's understandable. Um, let's hope that it doesn't last as long as they predict they, uh, that it'll last in this article. Yeah. I mean, it'll be a good while. I, the crazy thing to me is it, we're still suffering from shortages on a lot of those expensive chips too. Mm-hmm. despite a lot of production going towards those rather than some of the more like basic component chips. But regardless of that, I don't know how much of it, I don't know. There's cost rising because of inflation and much of other stuff too right now. Economics is tricky, but uh, yeah, it's, there's might be a rough year for electronics. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, the article um, says the retailer mono price, um, that they're getting affected by this uh, drought in, in uh, chips and uh, that they would have to cancel sales and other promotions. And then they said in some cases, uh, they're also seeing the need to invest more in upfront payments uh, to partners to ensure that these long lead times uh, are secured to get their supply requirements in order. Right. So basically guaranteeing that they get X product by just paying up front for it. Um, yeah. I mean... That, that's nuts. It's definitely one of those supply and demand things. Once again, economics is tricky, but um, I, I think that's going to be a, a big trend in the industry moving forward, basically securing these parts beforehand instead of just going to a manufacturer or distributor and just being like, hey, I need 30,000 of these. Uh, and they'd just be like, well, we don't have them. Like, and yeah. like planning that not not necessarily the, that just in time delivery, uh, but more so planning out ahead much longer than uh, previously has been done. So, yeah, right. I mean, we'll see. There's a lot of things leading into this and all that affecting everything. Uh, as things kind of open back and people go back to work, demand for like Xboxes, PS5s, and all that stuff that have GPUs built in will probably go back down. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I I would challenge you only on the PS5s just because of how scarce they've been from the get-go. It's been so hard for you yeah. to get them. I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't lump that in the category of uh, decreased um, demand. I think it's probably going to, uh, it's probably, honestly, I would say it's flatlining for about a year. Just I don't, because yeah, demand maybe. Been, well, yeah, so there's a the there's an undercurrent. Yeah, there's a minimum line they have to get to first, obviously. 
but like where the line is, I, I think might move down just as people have less and less time for, cause they're not at home all the time. Now they'll be back hopefully out doing things and working and all that stuff. But then the other, yeah, the other part to look at too, though, is crypto is not going anywhere. And crypto kind of relies on GPUs because they do the best job doing the kinds of math you need to make crypto work. Hmm. Right. Right. Well, we'll we'll see because apparently uh, TSMC is looking to double down on chip factories uh, in the U.S. as talks in Europe uh, kind of die out here. Um, long story short, uh, TSMC, one of the largest uh, semiconductor manufacturing companies, announced it, that they are going to uh, make a plant in Arizona. Uh, that basically will make chips, which is is great to see that investment um, in the U.S. It could, mm -hmm. They're they're basically toying with the idea between three nanometer and five nanometer technology, and that's two very different um, uh, architectures that you can build uh, chips in. So um, we'll see. What what's your guys' thoughts on this one? I mean, I think it's a super important. Um, especially with this chip shortage right now. Um, one thing I guess that we didn't mention in, in the last sort of discussion on chips was embargoes and sort of uh, restrictions on China. Um, the U.S. has imposed, which also makes it more difficult. Um, and so having something on, on our side of the, the water here helps. Um, it would only be, I believe it's 20,000 wafer um, kind of projected output for this uh this uh, small Arizona factory versus what you would see um, over overseas uh, with a hundred thousand wafers per month. So it's a little bit of a, a smaller output, but it's a start and you can't start, you can't start something like that big. Um, it's better to grow uh, and scale up as time goes, than try and then uh, try and maintain that really high output um, right, right at the start. Yeah. Uh, I love it. It's back in my home state of Arizona, which I wouldn't mind having a bunch of uh, technology places end up popping up in Arizona. But uh, I mean, there's I don't know if it would really change prices that much based on uh, tariffs and embargoes and all that. Uh, TSM, TSMC is a Taiwanese company, so I can't imagine they're doing any business in China because of the whole China doesn't acknowledge that Taiwan exists fiasco, all that. I'll try not to get too much into geopolitics, but... <laughs> it factors in. Yeah, it, it does factor in. I don't think TSMMC works in China. I, I have to imagine they can't because, I mean, China doesn't acknowledge that their country exists. So regardless of that, though, it probably would decrease prices just for a cost less to move chips because now you're not moving it over the ocean. Now you're just moving it over... Uh, the land right. well not only that but intel and uh and other companies have also samsung um are planning other plants in arizona as well as in texas yeah so you're, you're seeing all these people kind of move stateside or, or start building uh local uh factories stateside um i think it's good for it's gonna be good for the economy obviously um more jobs um yeah and, and good quality jobs so yeah i'm all for it yeah, now like it. Intel makes their own chips, so they have their own factories. TMSE, I think, is responsible for NVIDIA. Uh, they make AMD chips. Uh, 
I don't. I think they make Apple's processor too, if I'm not mistaken. That for the iPhones, I believe. I think, yeah, I think so. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah. Hey, it's cool to see expansion in this, and uh, definitely um, will help with uh, the chip shortage if you can make more. Now you just got to make sure you get the raw materials to make the chips uh, able to get there. So we'll see. Um. In other news, uh, speaking of China, uh, China was able to long land the Zhurong rover on Mars. Uh, it joins the U.S. as the only nations to successfully land on the planet. Um, and basically, I, I wanted to kind of go over this in a, a little bit of a different detail because I just found their rocket design and how they landed this just really interesting because basically... I, I don't, I'm not sure if this has a video here. Um, I think this was it. Um, but basically, long story short, instead of what the U.S. does, where they basically drop the rover directly on Mars, they land <laughs> this entire, um, this entire assembly here. Yeah, this, this entire, like, um, of course, I don't need ads, but that, that entire assembly um, on Mars. And the the thing this this thing, um, the thing that I just found interesting is they're taking a much different approach than the U.S. did because basically, like I said, when the U.S. did, they just kind of dropped the the rover on the planet on its wheels, and then just basically had the uh, the ropes that were well not ropes but the the connection points to the rover disconnect and then the rocket just just basically backfire as hard as it could the other direction and crash wherever it crashed. So um, <laughs> I, I, I just find that interesting. Uh, that looks like they're kind of using this like a little base station or something. So um, super cool to see. And at least for me, no matter where you stand on like political issues or whatever, I, I just think in the science space, it's cool to see other other countries doing stuff like this and just, just advancing science. We're not alone yeah. anymore up in Mars. I mean, it's good just in the sense of, you know, kind of like that spirit of competition. It'll push us based places to do better. It just kind of pushes innovation. Definitely. Which is always cool. Yeah. Also to your point about how we land rockets on Mars or rovers on Mars. They did have a big parachute. They don't just send it thousands, <laughs> thousands of miles an hour straight into the surface of Mars. You know, it's just drop it from space. It'll be fine. That. Um, I mean, I may have left out a couple minor details there, but you but know, yes. gravity yes, gravity is a little less on Mars. It'll be fine. But yes, they do have a, a very or slightly different approach um, to the land than the United States um, has had. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing to see how different countries do it differently. Yeah. Joke's on all of them. The country that's going to win is Starbase, Texas. <laughs> what the country? The country? Well, if it's a country, well, one... it's going to be Starbase, Texas. It's going to be Starbase, Starbase. I will see. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, well. There will be a country once they get to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, let me see. There was a article. Oh, here we go. The next article we got for you today, kind of changing 
uh, subjects here is um, I'm going to botch this so badly, but Yuffie, Yuffie, uh, yep. security cameras suddenly started showing live feeds to strangers. Uh, long story short, they had a bug in their app that sent the wrong stream to the wrong person. So if somebody opened up their app to check their own cameras, they'd see somebody else's cameras. And uh, knowing how databases work and how apps work, I know exactly what happened, and that is not okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrifying experience. I mean, that's not, it's not even like the, the situation, you know, you hear around the holidays where you have hackers and strangers pretending to be Santa, you know, going into people's, uh, like, Alexas and talking to little kids. And that's creepy and that's horrible. But, uh, yeah, the, the, in terms of security... It's, that's not too secure when you're able to look at other people's uh, feeds. And at least from what I was able to tell from the article, it's not like they wired one end to the other. It just randomly happened. Um, they, they weren't trying to pick a certain individual to get a certain other individual's uh, feeds. Um, it was also, I believe, only mostly happening in Australia. Um, there were some people that reported in the United States. Um, so it's not that widespread. Um, but yeah, a little bit of a problem for UFI. Uh, they're a sister company of Anchor. If any of you know, they're a consumer electronics brand. Oh, they do all that. kinds of, yeah, yeah. So they do all kinds of uh, lightning cables and, uh, well, any cables really. Um, power banks. I've got so many Anchor products around me right now. I, I had a sold them all. Made. Um, but yeah, not a good thing for, not good news for for UFI. No, that happened by accident. <laughs> I can't imagine what someone trying to hack other people's cameras capable of if that happened by accident. Yeah, it, it's definitely a big That's... security yeah. red flag. Well, my my hypothesis of what happened with that is uh, probably in the way their database architecture is constructed. Um, my my hypothesis, and granted, this isn't confirmed or anything, but the way I'm thinking of it is they have a a. a table in their database they have they have a, a section of their database for all of the people who use the cameras and then in the middle of on the other side they have all the cameras themselves so they're technically two separate things and then in the middle they have uh what's called an intermediate entity basically that links the camera to the person what i think happened is the ca the id of the person and the ID of the camera may have gotten flipped. So you have uh, somebody with user ID of one connecting to the camera ID of let's say 30. Um, instead, now you have user ID 30 connecting to camera ID one. So that's what I think may have been the issue. Oof. That's bad. Yeah, either way, it's not good. And uh, the article also does says that the uh, reports are only uh, coming in more and more. Um, so yeah, hopefully they're able to patch this. We'll see. If I they... mean, it's not a terribly rare thing. Remote yeah. cameras have all kinds of issues. I remember talking to someone who was checking in on what their remote camera was sending, and it was sending packets to, I forget what country, but like some country that it should by no means have been sending stuff back to, but it was. Well, there's a, there's a big thing out there now where people are actually hacking into those and using those as part of a botnet to run 
denial of service attacks DDoS, yeah, yeah. against websites. Wow. So that's because yeah, that's why people and this was due to sorry no oh no worries uh this was due like maybe five ten years ago when there was that initial like like iot everything needs the internet like that that really big boom that they just kind of threw security like out the window and uh it just kind of happened that they just wanted to get to market as quickly as possible and really didn't think about the security implications of things and that's why we're seeing all these older devices getting hacked so yeah yeah, I remember that too. Like, you can basically do anything that's internet connected. They're figuring out how to take it and make it basically just flood something with requests to the point where they could just break people's servers because it can't process 20 million requests in a few seconds. It just can't. Right. Uh, I remember, yeah, I remember distinctly. Anytime you looked at like a Raspberry Pi guide or anything like that, it'd be like, change your username and password, please. We're begging you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and like, it, it's always in like big, bold letters at the beginning immediately do this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. Um, cool. Well, in other news, Microsoft Teams launched for friends and families with free all day video conferencing. Uh, basically, they created a, a newer version of uh, Microsoft Teams that works for friends and family as opposed to their their um, business and like their their business software. So uh, cool to see. Yeah, I think um, there's two two important things, though, uh, from at least that I took from this. Um, Zoom took over the world last year. I don't think anyone's going to argue with me on that. Ryan, do you, do you, I'll give you a chance here. Do you want to or no? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. I think Zoom is probably like the eighth most powerful country <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. So Zoom's kind of taken over the world. Um, uh-oh. Am I back? Yeah, you're here. You're fine. All right. Um, it froze for me for a second. Well, anyway, Zoom's yeah, sort of good. taken over the world. They've become sort of the, the, the pinnacle of, of video conferencing right now. Um, for schools, for sometimes for businesses, um, Microsoft Teams came in and kind of carved out that market, but the they, they weren't really able to get that sort of home uh, personal use sort of case. Zoom is sort of still dominated that. Uh, well, now you can have 24-hour video calls, uh, at least in the pandemic, um, with up to 300 people. That's a lot. Um, I, I can't imagine... Um, at least I, I know for one great example, uh, my fraternity, um, they, they use zoom, uh, to conduct all their chapter meetings. Um, and they had to pay to have the, whatever version, because the free version only let them go so long. It was like 45 minutes and chapters, I mean, fits, you know, they run forever. Some of them, um, now that you can do this up to 300 people for, uh, at least for that go for 24 hours, um, I can see them very easily canceling their subscription there and moving to, to Microsoft Teams. Um, even after pandemic, they're going to be uh, keeping that one-to-one -one, uh, video calls for up to 24 hours. And uh, I believe it's uh, 60 minutes for 100 people. But even still, that beats out Zoom. Um, so we'll see if uh, Zoom decides to respond and up their minutes or uh, rescind their sort of subscription service 
um, for the time being. But this is directly uh, a slap in, in Zoom's face that, hey, we're Microsoft, we're here, and uh, we're coming back. Does Skype still exist then? Skype exists, but I mean, people don't use it. I, I they don't Microsoft really, as far as I don't uh, know, push it. I think they killed it. Like, like they okay. didn't, they didn't like, like bring it offline. But yeah, we're I getting think, into, and I think getting into Google territory. Try and make it better, but uh, it, they just didn't have the features that everyone wanted, and they kind of created this new sort of software in Teams, and it's been wildly successful. My company uses it. I think Fitz, your company uses it. Um, it's that or Cisco, and at least in my personal opinion, I, I really and I've used both. I really enjoy Teams. I probably yeah, more so than it's all about Discord for business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because those two Kinda. things go together. I, I, I okay, hold on. I genuinely believe Discord is probably better than uh, Slack. It's better than I think probably Teams. I think it's probably better than a lot of things. I think Discord's really powerful. But regardless of that, Microsoft's is kind of. I think they need to step carefully. They're getting into Google territory of having products that do the same thing and renaming them over and over again till no one can tell what actually still is alive, what's dead for Google. Hmm. Good point. Well, like what? Yeah, had, I mean, yeah, like Hangouts well, I mean, yeah. meetings. Yeah, you wouldn't experience this as much because look, you're on iPhone. Yeah, Hangouts, meetings. The one uh, thing that bothers me about Google. Ooh. Duo. Yeah. Duo's still a lot. Duo's actually a really good video calling service, but that's like the FaceTime replacement for them. I, I'm hot take, maybe not a hot take. I think it's more of a Google problem than it is. like something that a company comes into. Like, I don't think this is really going to be something that affects Microsoft. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's really, probably it's a, something that's always been an issue with Google. Yeah. I think it's a systematic problem with Google. Microsoft has done this like maybe twice. So it's not like a serious issue for them. Google it does it. I can think of, I probably think of four or five examples. Google Music is gone. Now it's only YouTube Music. Google Hangouts, Google Messages, Google Chat. They had their uh, social media. Uh, yeah. was it Google Plus. Google Plus. Oh, yeah. gosh. I remember when they were trying to push that. I thought that was the silliest thing. The silliest thing. Because I don't remember what the popular platform was at the time. But it didn't matter what the popular platform was at the time. No one was using Google Plus. <laughs> At the time, it would have been like the peak of Facebook, I think. Oh, yeah. How can you compete with and Facebook's with Facebook? still huge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just that was also when Facebook was like new and like the cool hip thing to be on, as the kids say. Hello, kids. fellow kids. Yes, the kids. You know, it's hip. It's happening. It's 23 fleek. or what? Five years removed from a kid? <laughs> uh, tw five years removed from kids, but you know. I, I won't get into my philosophy on this because that's regardless of the point. Speaking of, I mean, yes, we are adults, but it, it, to talk down to people that are five years younger than you, when five years ago Listen, you were probably you're in the same category. All, all I will say on the subject matter is, I think there's a hard line difference between people born after a certain point in 2001, and I'm going to leave it there. Oh no, I, I, I really don't. 
Oh yes, I, I think I might agree with you. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> Let's, half, let, we're just going to move no, on. I no don't need to go into details. Alrighty. It's like hearing heard half what you said, but I don't enjoy being a zoomer. <laughs> In other words, uh, AT and T is supposedly spinning off and combining Warner Media with Discovery in a deal that would create a streaming giant. I'm not sure how I feel about this. There's a lot going on here because you got HBO Max and Discovery Plus coming out. Um, I, I I don't know. Um, I know I know Grizzlo, you wanted to talk a little bit on on this one. Uh, you had some comments on this. Yeah, um, I think it's an interesting trend, maybe we're seeing, um, or at least this is another example of what we saw last week uh, with Verizon selling off AOL and Yahoo. Um, they're trying to get out of this streaming business. They're not trying to be in the media business anymore. Um, they want to be more in the telecommunications and, and other you know parts of their business. They're trying to basically uh, reformat their their business structure. And their uh, HBO Max does not fit their description of what AT and T is going to be. Um, and so they've partnered with uh, Discovery, and they're going to be spinning us off with HBO Max and Discovery Plus. And when we were we were talking about this uh, in the pre-show. I mean, HBO Max, I think, is a good uh, partner for anyone. Um, but it, I would I would assume it's only better for the smaller guy than the bigger guy. Because we were talking before, I, mean, I, I couldn't have named any of the Discovery Plus shows. We looked, it was uh, TLC and Food Network and, um, and those type of shows, the lifestyle things. Um, I, I can't imagine anyone seeing a new streaming service or company that has HBO Max with all of the other uh, offerings of, of Discovery Plus and saying, ah, that's it. Now that they have all the Discovery Plus uh, shows, now I'm going to buy into this service. Um, I think expanding your portfolio is good. Um, and obviously this is a, strate- a strategic move uh, for, for AT&T to kind of offload um, something it really doesn't is not interested in. Um, an important thing to know, though, is that uh, the purchase or, or in the money being uh, sent back to AT&T is largely going to be covering debt. Um, and in fact, the company, uh, this new company that's going to be formed when it is, um, because it has to go through regulatory review, um, is going to start with something like $50 million in debt day one. Um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. see what happens if, if they really... Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think this is going to... This is going to encourage anyone that doesn't already have an HBO mem- uh, Max membership um, who was on the fence about it before to go, oh, I need it now, but I can watch Food Network and, and TLC. Um, but I think it, it will definitely help Discovery, and it, it does offload uh, the burden on uh, from AT&T onto, uh, onto someone else. Yeah. Uh, we got to see how it works out. I don't think HBO has like a headliner uh, like show right now, do they? HBO or H? I mean, I don't know how HBO Max works if they put all their current content like as it's being recorded on there. If they only put like yeah. previous seasons on there, I don't have a membership. I can't really speak to it. Um, but at least one great example of uh, I'd say uh, what they're trying to go for is these exclusive releases, and prime example being the Justice League Snyder Cut. Um, that was released exclusively on HBO Max. Uh, what was it last month or so? Um, if they do more of that, and if they can rope in this this Discovery Plus service and make it something that's worth it, then maybe. Um, 
I mean, yeah, to my knowledge. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, um, you, you, you actually, you could go. This is going to be a new, a new idea. Okay, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I don't think HBO even has like a headliner show to pull people in right now, regardless of anything else. I think their last one was what Game of Thrones or something else. Well, they're going to have the spinoff. They're making a spin-off. Uh, coming up soon. Mm. Yeah. I didn't we'll watch see. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, I, I uh, really didn't either. I watched like three episodes. My so. favorite my favorite HBO show, and Fitz, probably, I'm assuming it's your favorite. I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess. It could be yours if you have seen it, Ryan. <laughs> Silicon Valley. Highly, highly recommend. If you haven't seen the show, go watch it. It's like five or six seasons. Um, phenomenal show. Thomas Middleditch. Um... Who am I missing here? Big actor, big name actor, comedian. Um, Guy from Nanjiani. What was his name? Kamal Nanjiani. He's also in that, actually. Yeah, not what I was thinking of, but yes. Um, I don't know. Anyway, T.J. Miller. Show, oh yeah, uh, go T.J. Watch Miller. It and, yeah, yeah, T.J. Miller. Um, I thought he was phenomenal on that show. Funny, funny as all get out. Go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Go get HBO Max. <laughs> Regardless, I don't think they have like that big pull in right now. Uh, right. I'm sure there's people who like TLC shows and all that who might do it. Don't really know. I mean, the way I, I like, know. I'm not. I don't see those people getting paying for HBO Max. At least that, that not... clientele with the shows that are on really... TLC, and that's a very specific example of all of the other networks and and TV um, channels that they're offering on Discovery Plus. Yeah. For me, I don't at least, I know that. I I liked the days when your streaming service was Netflix. That was it. Like you had one streaming service that had almost everything and that was it. Now you got every major network popping up with their little streaming service that's going to make them this oodle of cash and all this this basically a cash grab and I feel like we're going to then start to enter back into basically either merging these all together or bundling them into packages that people are going to buy. Hopefully it doesn't end up packaged. It ends up piecemeal. Cause that already, a lot of people were saying, I was like, I don't want 90% of these channels. I don't need them. I have like five, six that I watch and then I don't watch anything else. Yeah. Uh, oh, regardless. Sorry. I was just going to say, I'm, kind of down on like tv and all that kind of stuff i haven't streamed anything in Same. quite a while it's we're all busy as heck <laughs> yeah no, I mean, it's not even that it's just like what's nothing's like driving me to go watch it anymore is that an age thing though or like you just don't have time so you don't really i could just be old and into... jaded i don't know i, mean, I don't I, think so because I mean, there's a ton of adults who are like oh this is lost i'm super into this this is breaking bad i'm super into this game of thrones with this cultural craze and i just I don't know. I'm not seeing those right now. I'm not driven to watch any of them. I can't think of any off the top of my head um, that are as big as like Game of Thrones or um, yeah. I guess uh, what's the one with uh, the aliens um, in Indiana? I can't remember the name of it. People are going to probably Stranger Things uh, in the comments, but yeah, Stranger Things. Um, and they're coming out with a new season, I believe, soon. Um, but, but yeah, to your point, Fitz, it, it is really interesting to see how it, it kind of slowly went from, uh, all you have to have cable, you have to have, you have to have it to get it wherever you want to then, okay, well you can buy into some of these, uh, packages, you still need cable, 
to, okay, well, now we have some streaming services that are doing pretty well. And the networks see it and they go, okay, now we're going to start our streaming services. Um, and that's dangerous for a few reasons. Um, well, I guess maybe not a few reasons, but it's problematic because all these major networks now that have these streaming services, as soon as they've made the streaming services, pull all of their content from the other streaming services onto their own exclusive one. Phenomenal example, I believe it's Peacock. Um, they the took office. Uh, the office from Netflix and uh, people were pissed that they couldn't watch Netflix and they had to they had to go to Peacock and it was behind a paywall. Yeah. Um, and I believe at least in the structure that they had, uh, initially set out, um, you couldn't get all of uh, the office through you know one of their subscription models. There were a few different ones and it was differing I, I think, guess like I think access it was a... to the show. I think it was a paywall but, for certain seasons. You could watch yeah. some of them for free, but like certain seasons were paywalled. Yeah, I, I really, I really don't like that, and I think exactly what you're saying. I, I agree with. I, I really do think we're gonna go from uh, a society and a culture of everyone has cable and everyone's paying for all these channels to now everyone's gonna be paying for all of these subscription services, and they do have bundles. I mean, that's not, um, that's not uncommon right now. Um, at least for me, I, I really wanted to watch my Cubs on uh, Hulu. Apparently, they're not uh, the network, uh, or at least the Cubs network now, um, marquee network that they now have, uh, is not playing nice with with Hulu. So you can't watch it on Hulu. They're, I believe it, they're having a partnership with Roku, um, but you have to have Roku. So it's like, okay, now I got to get a Roku or get this streaming service to access this content. It, it's it's slowly but surely going from uh, all together in the network to I have a few streaming services to now everything is streaming service. Now I have to pay for everything. So you may as well just have everything at that point. Yeah. You might have a few ones you don't want, but if you have everything you need, I don't know. It, it's it's sort of disappointing, I think. But I will I'm not say surprised. Netflix. I mean, is anyone surprised, though? No. I will say people like Netflix did think ahead, though, and they made their own studio to start producing content. So that they wouldn't get cut off from these other places. Oh yeah, and I mean a lot of these. Um, I mean, Game of Thrones. There, it's an original HBO uh, show. Yeah. Um, so is Silicon Valley. Um, Stranger Things. That's an exclusive Netflix show. Um, and they have exclusive shows that you can only get on there. And I, I've watched a few like limited series on on Netflix. A recent one I watched was Jupiter's uh, Jupiter's Legacy, which uh, it's based on like a comic or a book, and it. It really wasn't. It was okay. There were a lot of plot holes, um, but is yeah. it the sequel to that awful t that awful movie Jupiter Ascending? <laughs> no, uh, as far as I know, no. I don't even know what that is. Ooh. Actually, I think I know what you're talking about. And no, it is it's not. Ooh. It's not. It's by the people. It's by the people who directed The Matrix, but it was. No, yeah. it's, it's not. It isn't yeah. with that. Um, because I, I I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I. I I know I, one of my buddies back home um, last year helped his dad cut the cord on, on cable and did a, a lot of math and like mental acrobatics to figure out um, how to get his bill lower and still access all the content that he wanted. Um, I, I hope that I don't have to do that because I enjoy having, you know, most of my stuff for what I need. I really at least now only use streaming services, uh, Netflix, Hulu, um, 
Prime, Amazon Prime, Prime Video, I guess, um, which I don't really use often, um, and and Disney Plus. Um, but, and I really hope that I don't have to continue buying subscriptions to access the content that I want. Um, it's just going to become as expensive as cable. And it, it's kind of like uh, the phrase, uh, some people die a hero and some people live long enough to see themselves become the villain. It's almost kind of like that scenario. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking I don't of. Know, I know how to end this. No, hold on. I know how to end this. Go read a book. All right, we're good. All righty, cool. Um, In other news here, uh, we have two cool device stories right here. Uh, Sharp's new flagship phone has a giant one-inch camera sensor with Leica branding on it right up here. And the other article we got is Samsung teasing uh, their next gen of Ah. flexible displays. So I'm not sure which one you guys want to tackle first, but these are two very different articles here. Well, let's go on the sharp one while I have this idea fresh in my mind. So this is, I guess, this is something that like comes and goes in seasons a lot with phones and phone cameras. Uh, I guess we're going into the season where basically phones get their cameras sponsored by like huge corporations who like famous for their cameras. So I know OnePlus's new phone is like sponsored by Hasselblad or whatever, something like that. Supposedly, they helped with like some of the color uh, correction and like color algorithms and all that. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, I think Hasselblad was on. I can't remember which moon landing, but it's the camera from like that famous, famous. Uh, what is it like? Little blue dot picture. I think is the name of it. Pale blue dot. Does that ring any bells? I, I think nope. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I want to yeah. say that was Apollo 11. It's a really famous picture of Earth from the moon. Uh, oh, I think yes. taken on a Hasselblad camera or something like that. Oh, okay. so this is just something that like comes and goes all the time in like the phone industry where like we'll be this year where like, oh, our audios sponsored by like or not sponsored, but like there was a time when. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's most of the time. It's just like they get some engineers on the phone to be like, yeah, we'll take a look at it and then you can slap our branding on it. Because I know yeah. there was a time when there was, like, Beats Audio and things. There's just Dolby Audio. Oh, my God. Beats There's, like, this screen sponsored or whatever. Oh, yeah, wow. Beats Audio isn't even good, but whatever. I can't I can't believe I forgot about that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This, yeah. This, it's a pretty. It's just a trend that comes and goes is all I was saying. Yeah. Um, I believe this isn't the first um, one-inch sensor phone. I think the first one was, like, 2014. Um, I can't remember the company's name. It's it's Ooh, somewhere. Oh no! Is it that Windows Nokia phone with that oh big gosh. old camera on it? I the think... Windows phone. Does everyone remember that thing? Oh, or was it a Zoom? I love it. Oh, it was the uh, Panasonic uh, CM1 in 2014. Uh, not the one I'm thinking of. No, no, no. I'm no. thinking of that big old Nokia article. phone. You can probably pull it up Ooh. if you want, Fitz. Uh, um, here, let me let me pull it up. But yeah, so this this yeah. Uh, camera on the on the Sharp phone. Is it's a 20 uh, megapixel one inch sensor um, that is very competitive with some of the high end uh, Sony cameras, uh, compact cameras. So, I mean, I, I think it's really cool that companies, and I'm not going to say starting, it's, it's not like this is the first time this happened. Obviously, we just said 2014. What was had the a, name? A one inch phone. Um, the Panasonic uh, CM1. If you look in the article, uh, it links directly to it. Um, I, at least on, on my, wow, in my opinion, 
Yeah, it's probably huge. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. It's basically a camera that also is a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is actually, I think I jumped the gun a little bit here. It looks like this is not like the typical uh, sensor you'd find. It looks like they either made their own sensor or got their own sensor from somewhere. Really? Uh, Sharp? Yeah. It says it's similar to the Sony one, which is what you find in, like, I think literally every phone. I think most high-end phones use the same Sony sensor. Uh, it says the lens is actually made by Leica, so that's interesting. But Huh. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it, um, it's an F1.9 uh, Summicron lens, uh, wider than most phone cameras, um, or m most, yeah, most phone cameras. Um, with a focal length of 19 millimeters, so it's huh. pretty wide. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really cool. Um, that more I shouldn't say more again because there are plenty of companies that are doing this, but I think when you were talking earlier about sort of like the the episodes or the crazes, um, yeah. I think currently what we're seeing is is it's two, a fad. two big crazes: no um, foldable phones and like how them. crazy cool. can we go with the cameras. The camera system, the 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 bump, whatever you want to call it. Um, people Ooh. are adding more cameras, uh, sensors to their phones. They're adding crazier uh, sensors to their phones. Yeah. Wide angle, uh, you know, zoom style, hundred times zoom uh, capable lenses. It's uh, it's cool to see that, yeah. that we're finally we are getting uh, cameras on the phones. That really, really, really do, and not just because we want to say they do, but because they actually are getting to the point where they can rival uh, some of these standalone uh, point-and-shoot cameras and some, you know, even the mirrorless uh, cameras. Definitely. Qualify that with in very select situations, and I'll half-heartedly sign on to it, but... <laughs> yeah. I they mean, can't touch low light and a bunch of other stuff that just plain cameras do better, but I mean, yeah, regardless, it's all software, that, though. yeah, color science. Oh yeah. No, the color science that these phones use are incredible. That's for sure. Definitely. And if it's only a software issue, it's only a matter of time, Ryan. Uh, it's not a software issue. It's a hardware issue. Well, if you can correct all kinds of things in, in software with um, like low light uh, pictures and stuff, then yeah, it really is only No, because you have to you have to take guesses. When you're doing that stuff, you do still have to take guesses on like this is about what this should look like if I correct for darkness. Whereas when you have the standalone, it's just a bigger sensor, it gets more light in, and you can get a better view of what's happening. Yeah, but I mean also this is just the refinement of the technology. It's at a yeah. certain point right now and I won't even say ten years because I doubt it'll even take ten years. Let's say six years. It's I I, I bet it's going to be right up there with it. I I think it still is a hardware thing because you do need to get this much light into this much space. And honestly, it, they're good enough already. I think like I don't care that a like standalone camera is better for ninety percent of the situations that you find yourself in. I, I don't think people are going to wish they had a standalone camera. I mean, also, who 
who goes out and buys standalone cameras really anymore? At least the typical photographers. consumer doesn't. No, photographers do. If yeah, if you're really into photography, you do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you and me, and especially when you're looking on a on a screen that's five inches big, or in any other case, like an iPad, um, eleven inches, thirteen inches, it it's still no no one's really zooming. You're just showing pictures and you're scrolling. You're moving on, and then also on top of that, when you post on social media, um, it decompresses the uh, the image and the quality goes a bit down. So it really doesn't matter for most. It compresses, the the not decompresses. Thank you. Uh, thank you <laughs> quick clarification but, uh, it's been a long day <laughs> it's monday i know i know i'm sorry um, but yeah it, it's it it really doesn't matter much to the the consumer or the standard yeah, yeah. oh yeah no to an average person i'm talking about for professionals I average like, person it, i think it ceased mattering two three years ago at least maybe more i think more so like whenever a company comes out with a new product at their release and then they give all the details for it it's more of like a like a shock and awe type reaction to the standard consumer versus someone who's really dialed into photography would look at yeah. it and go, okay, it's good, but it's still not even, you know, close or yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. hold a candle to to what I've got, my my pro setup. I mean, yeah. what's the company? Red? Is it Red Dot or Red? Red. Oh, forget about, yeah, forget about Red. Yeah. Jeez. There, yeah. There's never going to be an iPhone that comes near that in the next 20 no. years, if ever. But you know, a lot of these other cameras that a standard consumer would buy. This is just as good. Yeah. Right. This is almost three years old. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What I'm, I think it could be the case one day where the reverse almost happens where you get like a Google branded like partnership with like a Sony mirrorless camera where Google's helping him with the color science because I don't know why, but Google's color science is the absolute best. On the phones? Yes. Yeah, I gotta say, I mean, as much as I love my iPhone, I, I will admit when it's not as good as other things. And I, I gotta say, even like your first, Ryan, your first generation Pixel. Um, yeah, that thing. Ooh, that's, yeah, that's what I had back then. Yeah, Ooh. freshman year. Your first generation Pixel, yeah. all of college. So was it four years ago? Almost five years ago at this point? That first generation yeah. Pixel phone, um, I was very shocked at the, the camera quality. Thing... And so was everyone else, not just me. Oh, yeah. They yeah, were writing about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were plenty of people writing about it. And it was crazy, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's a good point. But then it, it leads again to what I was saying earlier. I, yeah. don't, think, I don't think it's going to be – it's an issue of, of hardware yeah, anymore. Yeah. It's only optimizing the hardware with software now. Yeah. Yeah, for a normal person, yes. If yes. you're like, if you're not like a photographer, yes, absolutely. All righty. Well, in the next article we have here, we have an article about EV startups. They lose over $40 billion in valuation after taking SPAC route to go public. Uh, the sliding valuations of Nicola, Fisker, Lordstown, Canoe, and Arrival underscore the risks surrounding the blank check boom. Basically, they thought they were worth a heck of a lot more. And uh, they just go into all of these different articles. Uh I just wanted to stop here for a second and point this out. Ugh. What? 
Oh, they are releasing a. Uh, if that's not what, no, no, that's exactly what I think it is. Yeah, it's uh, that's new. The new uh, van, or if it's not the new van, they are uh, releasing a new van, like thirty-four thousand dollars. I don't know what the specs are on it. Um, it reminds me of one of those yeah. like nineteen ninety, like nineteen ninety. Uh, what were they like? They they weren't like They're, no, it's like nineteen seventy VW bus. If I you mean, can pull up the comparison fits and do what? a side by side of a... the. Uh, no, no, no. So from the original Vacation movie, that looks like an electrified version of that. Oh, let's see. Uh, is it a VW bus? What are you guys talking movie. about? It's not the original, unfortunately. The original one was a an old, long, wood-paneled car. But if you look up Vacation, um, the movie. <laughs> movie. Vacation, movie, car. But, sure. I, I, I don't know what to describe. Like this? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. That's even worse than a VW bus. <laughs> like That's, that was the first. That was my first uh, reaction to what I thought it could be close to. Twenty fifteen Tartan Prancer, something something like. like that. Yeah, Tartan Prancer from Vacation. Yeah. But yeah, VW bus is also a good um, comparison. I would see. Yeah, it's definitely a modern day um, like VW style. Yeah, but like they are going to be releasing those electrified, aren't they? I believe people have just been doing that by themselves, just making those oh. electric. I thought the company was uh, releasing them, like under their the Volkswagen like ID uh, new branding for their electric vehicles. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, definitely interesting to see the uh, value of these just completely go to go to behind. Um, I mean, I th- I knew that they were overvaluating these things from the beginning because everybody was trying to cash grab for what Tesla was doing, but I didn't yeah. expect it to be $40 billion. The only company I recognize on that list is Fisker. The only one and I reckon- because... recognize is Nikola, because memes. Well, both of those, I suppose. Ryan, I recognize these. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I think electric vehicles got largely overblown very quickly. Oh yeah. Uh, I think for the most part, like the amount of work that goes into making a battery for one of these things is insane at the moment. Oh yeah. So until we get like a few more, like really good jumps in battery technology, it's, I mean, it's a lot to get a good enough battery for it to work. Like that's why Tesla has whole like factories and stuff that manufacture these batteries it's because it's that crazy yep yeah and However, speaking uh, speaking of tesla oh i was gonna say the 2024 in 2024 volkswagen or at least maybe 2023 because it'll be 2024 model will be coming out with their vw id buzz electric van hmm. interesting so, yes we'll see they will be coming out with an electrified version of their van well when oh. You're driving electric cars. Autopilot comes after that. And this story that Grizzlo, you sent in, I think this is hilarious. Man arrested for riding in the backseat of his driverless Tesla, got out of jail, bought a new Tesla, and did it again. (laughs) And basically, long story short, he basically gave the cops the finger and said, I have unlimited money. I can do what I want. It says, we'll keep buying Teslas as his car is impounded. So, uh, 
I'm yeah, not sure how I, I feel on this. I just think that is funny. I mean, I, I don't encourage it in any way whatsoever, but it, yeah, it's I, funny I, for the meme. <laughs> I think it was a guy, so at least a little background, the the, the person, um, I believe he made Graham a lot of money off of like Bitcoin. Um, yeah, he lives in Bitcoin San Francisco. Billionaire. What's that? Bitcoin billionaire. Yeah. Um, he's a, he is a young guy and he's very, uh, bold and brash. And, uh, oh, I, wait I watched, a minute. I watched like a, a TMZ style, like interaction video with him online and they came up to him while he was in the car. I don't know if he was parked on the street or waiting at like a stoplight or whatever. And he was sitting in the back seat and they were asking questions about it because he had just gotten, uh, his, his other Tesla, like impounded, like the first one. And he, he was explaining how, oh, well I can just go up. And in, in three seconds, I can take control of the vehicle from sitting in the, the passenger rear seat. So not even behind the driver. Um, I guess it's probably better to get to the driver's seat um, if you're on the rear passenger side. Nonetheless, um, yeah, this guy's really full of himself. Um, this is the, I think, the prime example in 2021 of, like, FU money. Um like I, I can afford to basically get all of my Teslas, and and he mentioned in the video, yeah, Tesla's only a sixty thousand dollar vehicle. Do you know how many Teslas I could buy with the amount of money that I have? I mean, it was a sort of pompous, just like jerk, um, tech or or, or Bitcoin made billionaire, um, this this guy, and uh, yeah, in the interview they were there, he was explaining to the guy just how rich he was, how many, how he would go, he's gonna do this basically. Uh, until they stop doing this, until they stop uh, arresting him and stop taking his vehicles, he's not going to stop. He's not going to uh, back down. Um, and he, he was a big Tesla fan. Uh, nonetheless, this is incredibly dangerous. I don't think I have to say it, but please don't do this. Um, there's a reason why we don't have fully self-driving vehicles everywhere in the states, and there's reasons why people don't do this and why he's getting the reaction he is. So if you have a Tesla, if you have a car that can do any sort of like self-driving, don't don't sit in the back. It's not your personal chauffeur, at least in 2021. It's not safe enough. It's not the law yet. And uh, you're going to freak a lot of people out. So please don't do that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Jeez. Uh, why is he even famous for? He's ah. not famous for anything. He just he just got rich off Bitcoin or it was Bitcoin or Dogecoin. Is it Bitcoin? I believe it's Bitcoin. Hold on. Um, also, I might be wrong. I don't think it was 60000 because that would be the cost of a Tesla Model S. I believe he was driving Tesla Model 3, how which would be $30,000, which you can get twice the amount of, um, in the amount of money it would, uh, cost you to, to buy a Model S. Either way, yeah. I, I, again, oh yeah, in a, a quote here, I have unlimited money to blow on Teslas. If you take away my Tesla, I'll get none. It's like stupid. The guy, he, yeah. Why do people? Why are there people like this? <laughs> uh, why do people? Why are people like this? Ah, who knows? But uh, how he made his money. While you look for that, Ryan, we're going to move on to the next story here. Uh, basically, Cloudflare, um, a company that runs uh, content delivery and all sorts of stuff across the internet, wants to end the "Are You a Robot?" Capshka madness, as they put it, and launched a new security key-based replacement. Long story short, what they're trying to do is replacing the uh, voluntary training of other companies' AIs uh, to basically touching something physically uh, to let you know that you're there. And in this case, a YubiKey, 
or any form of physical security appliance uh, where they can actually uh, uh, cryptographically prove that you're touching the thing. So um, I think it's interesting. Uh, definitely something to, to see. I would love to see the day where I don't have to uh, look at nine grainy pictures of a sidewalk and have to pick out which of them have a small corner of a fire hydrant in them just to be able to buy a phone case. Like, just, I, I wish that <laughs> I want, I want to see the day where that can, like, I can use a physical key and, you know, in a matter of seconds, I can be authenticated and, and go on with my online uh, activities. Ryan. I'm trying to figure out, no one knows why this dude's rich. <laughs> I might just be family money. Who it's, knows? No, it's crypto. It's crypto. I wouldn't surprise me. I don't. How, how do you know? Because I've watched an interview with him. I don't know. I can't find it anywhere. Okay. A lot, um, of people, a lot of people like this. A lot of people care about people like this. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Who followed him on Instagram? You, if you follow him on Instagram, you should be ashamed. It's not that he's getting a following. I mean, if anything, he's getting a following from this media. I guess it's a sort of like a Trump style media. Not, not, no media is bad media. He's just getting media attention and he probably loves all of it. Um, but the, the anyway. physical uh, key stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my I, only I, question I is, is it sending my, is it sending my fingerprint to a cloud? That's all I care about. If it is, no. Believe it or not, no, they aren't. Uh, I actually have a, a UB key right here. Um, all it is. Well, then I'm good. Is it is a literally you just you just touch the thing like you, it's basically a button, and that's it, which is super cool. So all I care about is how good is the encryption, and is it trying to store my fingerprint somewhere? Because as long very... as it's not, and the encryption's rock solid, no one's gonna hack it. Awesome. Get rid of those stupid things. Yep. Uh, in other news, we have two NFT articles here for you today. We have this I ah, gotta pay the bills. Yep, there we go. <laughs> yes, uh, we do, baby. The Charlie Bit My Finger video is being auctioned off as an NFT and then deleted off of YouTube. So it is being auctioned off and then deleted off of YouTube. And then uh, I really didn't look at this one. Uh, they just sold a Michelangelo NFT for $100,000 and they're minting more masterpieces. I didn't read this one. I did read this one and this is kind of funny. Uh, but basically, long story short, they're going to auction it off on May 22nd, and then the original video will be deleted from YouTube. That's it. Like, why? But we're in the era of NFTs, so uh, anything is possible, I guess. It just makes me sad because that was one of the first viral videos ever. And I think it's cool that they're having this sold as an NFT. Um, this is not the first collectible or, or video. Um, we covered one last week, I think, um, or two weeks ago. Um, an NFT, another YouTube video, a, a viral YouTube video. Uh, in that article, it mentions some of the other ones that have sold as NFTs. But as far as I know, this is the first one where they are saying they are only going to have this uh, available as an NFT, and the owner of the NFT will be the sole owner of that video. Um, it's sort of like at this point, e even what is it, 17, 18, or maybe 15, rather, 
14 years later, um, it's sort of become like an internet icon. Like the Charlie bit me uh, video was, was profoundly viral. Um, so to see that kind of go and, and sort of be like an exclusive, you know, uh, it's, it does make me a little sad. It also sort of, uh, it also sort of makes me wonder if this is going to become the norm where if these uh, hugely viral videos uh, that are being built and sold as NFTs or with NFTs uh, are going to then be deleted off the platform. What does that do to the platform? I mean, right now you've got all kinds of billion plus uh, view uh, videos that could easily be sold as NFTs. Um, and I'm curious if, if YouTube would want, uh, would want that. And we want their their like original content uh, or, or like their most performing content to just be stripped from them. Who knows? I mean, it probably doesn't make them much money anymore. Regardless of that, someone will re-upload it in two days as soon as it's deleted. I mean, right. Yeah. And they, they mentioned that too, where it, it's, it's uploaded already a hundred times or a thousand times yeah. or whatever the number is. Um, I, I just think, like I said, it, it, it's like, it, it's just sad that, the original viral video is going to be gone. And that's in a matter of five days from now, five days from the recording of this video, um, it's going to be gone. So at the end of the week on, well, it's Saturday. That's assuming the auction ends that day. Yeah, that's true. But still, it says I begins mean, on May 22nd, but Oh, it begins. I thought yeah. it said ends. It, okay. The auction will kick off on the video's 14th anniversary. So, so 14 years. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't that far off. Yeah. That's, that's wild. And I guess on the other uh, front, um, the Michelangelo stuff, um, again, I, I don't think this is any, any sort of wild, uh, article. I just think it's interesting that they're, they're selling these, uh, highly, 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 um, price. Well, not even highly, these priceless, uh, art pieces of NFTs, um, I'm curious yeah. if the same piece that wasn't an NFT would sell for that. And I'm sure it would. It would probably sell for millions more. Um, yeah. yeah it's, at it's, least it's, in order of magnitude more. I, go ahead. Here's my thing with the art pieces. Uh, I don't know what they're selling exactly, like what the picture is. I was, I was actually going to say that. So it is the uh, picture. It says... Um, where was it? I, I just found it. Uh, Donnie Tone, Donnie Tondo. Uh, it says, uh, yeah, Donnie Tondo is the name of the painting, but it's not the actual painting that you're buying. You are buying a, as they put it, a digital fax mile of a famous painting as part of a partnership with a company called Sinello that patented this, um, and basically what they're doing is they're using this revenue to support the museum through COVID. So uh, because they weren't able to get all the visitors, they weren't able to get the revenue, they needed to find a, a way to make money. And this museum's basically creating these NFTs of this Michelangelo to get revenue, basically. Yeah. You mean facsimile? I can't talk. <laughs> I mean, sorry, that was, was like fax smile. What? No, it's uh, basically like a high res um, scan of it, right? Right. Here's the thing: like, if it's just an HD picture of it, man, who's buying that? 
if it's an 8k picture okay but if i'm gonna pay like 10 million i want like a 3d scan of the painting with like every perfect color and detail i want to be able to hand this to nicholas cage and have him go and steal it later on and replace it with something else i want it to be that detailed you know i i wish i had the video on hand but at least as far back as i can remember let's say in the last few months i do remember watching a video where um it, there's a there's a process um that you can uh take very 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 high res or or get very high res uh renditions of uh very famous paintings well, and yeah, the process is crazy yeah it's a hologram yeah. making a hologram of them no 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 like they so what they do is they go in with this huge ass camera and they 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 zoom in on on the picture and they just take hundreds upon thousands of pi little pictures and they stitch them together at the end yeah and what you come out with is this incredible i mean you can see ryan when you talk about like high detail you know, yeah HD, that's what i want you can see the brush strokes on this yeah that's what i want if i'm going to pay like 10 million dollars for the digital version of this i want the highest quality possible i don't want I mean, I'd never pay $10 million dollars for it in the first place, but. <laughs> well, I mean, this one sold for $170,000. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what the, or, or, or to know what kind of level of detail that really went into that. If it was one of those type of things where they had a camera go in and, and really get a good um, yeah. hundreds of thousands of pictures of it. This, this piece that was on a wall in like some sort of case, like a what looks to be like a big yeah. I don't know if they can take structure and yeah, when I, I was talking about this this sort of process they laid the the piece out flat on a table on a big table um and had the rig over yeah. it yeah and i don't know what the process is for all that because like these old paintings are like beyond like fragile like if you go to i think it's what's that french museum the louvre the louvre yeah yes the louvre if you go there like you can't uh you're not allowed to have any flash on or anything like that because like the paintings are that delicate that just that repeated exposure is going to damage them over time. Yeah. Oh, like the painting that was at least in the video that I saw was an, uh, a good example of that a very aged painting. One yeah. that was, that could, if, if proper improperly handled could really have uh, been damaged. Um, but they, they took really good care of it. Yeah. And uh, the end result was astounding. Astounding. Yeah. That's what I want, though. <laughs> that was the point of this. I so, want that okay, if I'm well, going to so pay a few end, million. So to that end, Ryan, would you pay $170,000 or more for an 8K res of no. a Michelangelo? For an 8K? No. For like what you're talking about, I might if I had a lot more money than I currently have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's... Especially if if I had two to three is, orders of magnitude more money than I have right now, maybe. I think especially if the NFT is just a like a really high res scan of of the thing. Yeah. Um. It, it, I I don't understand digital art. I will never understand digital art. And when I say digital art, I mean like you have a frame in the background or a big screen, and you project um art on on it. Um. My yeah. my TV has a feature where um, you can project like nice paintings on it, and it's a nice 4K, you know, OLED HDR display TV. We it get looks it. Phenomenal. You have a cool TV. But, but 
I'm not trying to hammer home that point. The point I'm trying to make is that wouldn't want me, that wouldn't make me want to set up more screens around my home or apartment in, uh, for that point and uh, increase my collection of, of digital art. I would rather have That's... a physical, physical, you know, yeah. piece. Oh, yeah. But you're also thinking about this uh, from the amount of money you currently have and no. not from the point of view of a billionaire. No. Where you can afford have, to have an 8K I... screen worked into the wall perfectly, seamlessly looking like there's art on the wall. Ryan, if I had that Tesla guy money, I still wouldn't do it. I might. I still wouldn't do it. And I think maybe it's, it's maybe cool. naive. Maybe you're right. But I still wouldn't do it. I, I'm, I'm, I love talking about NFTs. I think they're fascinating. I think yeah. this whole buzz around it is fascinating. You're still not going to catch me buying NFT Pokemon cards or, or art. Well, I wouldn't do it for that, though. We're not, we're not thinking the same way about this. I hate modern art for the most part. There's a lot of stuff I just don't like. Sure. But like, if you're going to give me one of these incredible scans of like a Renaissance painting, I love that because that is like some, it's astounding art to me. Yeah, you, you will never have the chance to own that painting in the way yeah. that you, you will with an NFT. You're, you're, it's going to be, the physical object is going to be hung in a museum until the end of time. Like, but, but they auction off pieces like all the time. They they auction yeah. off I they auction off art famous art pieces all the time. Yes, and if you have the money to, to I mean Ryan, if we're talking about you know a, you know a cool few million dollars or whatever. Yeah, if we're talking about if we're talking about uh, a few money like that Tesla guy has, he can afford a Michelangelo. Yeah, maybe he can. Uh, and actually, a Michelangelo, he, he could buy. I mean, when you say he could throw away Teslas like nothing, he could. It what does it take? Less than five to afford this NFT of this Michelangelo. Yeah, you just get the. Original. Here's the thing, though. Yeah, the, a real Michelangelo is a lot harder to come by. That's that's even more money than I'm even conceiving of ever having. Like I'm talking from like normal rich perspective. I think. So you're talking about like ball on a budget rich. Yeah, <laughs> that's one way. I think I'm talking it. from like. The perspective of someone who's like normal rich, not like someone who's like stupid amounts of rich. So like a, I don't know. Like someone whose like, wealth is like still measured in millions versus, versus Bill Gates. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm speaking from the point of view of like someone who's got like $40 million is objectively rich, but isn't just like, I can just throw money away rich. No, they can't. Um, yeah. I still, I don't know. It's a personal thing, I suppose. At, at the end of the day, I'm still not buying. Yeah, I'm. I'm still not buying. Uh, you know, digital renditions of of art. Uh, also, yeah. I think there's there's a there's a certain aspect to 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 the art NFTs specifically on just appreciating art. I mean, yeah, yeah you can have a really high res picture of uh, of a Michelangelo. But you're not going to be able to appreciate it in the same way that you can if you actually had the Michelangelo, the yes. art piece. Um, I think, I mean, I, this is a very genius um, way for this museum to recoup money uh, in a time where you can't go out to, to museums. I think it's a very smart idea. 
Um, but as far as this catching on and really taking off or, or, or really becoming popular, I don't know. People have yeah. been buying I mean, physical art for decades. And I'm not yeah. talking just, you know, a $20 piece, but hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, millions of dollars. Um, I don't think it's going to change. Yeah. Listen, if my last name is Bezos, I'll go and buy the original, but you know. <laughs> Balling on a budget. There we go. <laughs> Balling uh, on the budget, Rich. But anyway, uh, next article we got for you right before our last one for you tonight is the mRNA tech that was used against COVID could finally help us beat malaria. And long story short, this article went into pretty good detail, citing some papers and things like that, basically on how the mRNA technology, which basically makes um, antibodies, um, can be used for other things. Like basically if you could apply them to uh, kill cancer cells or combat against malaria or things like that. So um, really interesting article to read. Um, and it's, it's cool because this is a new technology of vaccine and we haven't realized all the full benefits of it yet. I'm, I'm excited to see what comes up. So. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool that uh, we're already starting to see or are starting to think about and apply uh, this this new vaccine technology, uh, the, the spike protein um, creating mRNA vaccines um, in, in different use cases. Malaria is a, a phenomenal uh, use case for this. I mean, it's a, a prime example of something that um, really devastates uh, communities uh, worldwide, and you know, specifically in Africa. Um, so this would be this would be phenomenal for for the world. If you can get something out like that, and especially if you can uh, broaden that scope of, of this type of vaccine um, to combat other more serious viruses and um, and and other ordeals, other other uh, other stuff, you know. Yeah, what you said about uh, even potentially having a use in cancer treatment that I find really really interesting because. It's been a minute since I've taken biology, but I'm remembering correctly, a lot of cancers are caused by uh, rapid cell growth. And when a cell's DNA gets damaged, it's refusing to uh, basically commit suicide, apoptosis. So I could... Big words. Conceive... Yeah. <laughs> apoptosis. It's a fun word. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. I could but conceive of like, oh yeah, we're like using this like mRNA protein thing to like get it into cells and force them to like produce whatever like things are supposed to check uh, the DNA and RNA of the cell and all this other stuff and like check if these inhibitors are working or not. And if they're not force it to like do its job and commit apoptosis. Right. Like it's, it's all very, very theoretical. Right I'm sure it's much more it. complicated than that. I'm not a biologist. Right. None of us are qualified I can, in any way. I can, yeah, but I can nope. wrap my mind around how that's theoretically possible. Right. Right. And it's definitely going to be cool to see. Um, and I, I really hope that uh, we're able to use this technology in the future, too. So, yeah. Great. Well, the last article we have for you today is ah. an oldie but a goodie. Um, and you may be wondering, okay, 
what's the title of this have to do with anything that we've talked about so far? Um, and the, the closer article for today was all the way back in the 2nd of April of 2020. Um, but it's still applicable to this day. And this article, Ryan, you're going to love this one. Boeing 787s must be turned off and on every 51 days to prevent misleading data being shown to pilots. So (laughs) I find this hilarious. Long story short, the article just says, hey, we have to turn off the plane and turn it back on again every 51 days so we don't get raw, like, we don't see wrong things on the flight controls. So, like, from Boeing, <laughs> the from, power of the power button. <laughs> you said it well, yeah, right I'm there, Grizzlow. There you go. But basically, uh, this article goes into a little bit more detail about some of the other software failures that Boeing has had. But Ryan, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is uh. what, what you think the issue may be because both you and I took some classes that have these issues come up. And if it sounds to me, this sounds to me like it would be them refusing to free memory within (laughs) the plane. It's just a giant memory leak. Yes, Uh, I don't know. I don't know what level of, uh, what do you call it? Abstraction they're working with. I don't know if it's like inner programming language that this is happening or if this is like it's on the hardware level. It says both actually it's for their, for their inner, uh, their inner flight communications. So basically the yeah. network within the plane. So they could have, so there's a, I mean, there's a couple of things that could be wrong. Obviously it could be an issue of memory where they have a memory leak somewhere that's destroying a bunch and, of stuff. And just to kind of uh, explain what a memory leak is, whenever you write a program, whenever you want to do some operation, you need to use memory. You need to store those numbers somewhere. So you could write a program that says store a number here, store a number here, and then add those two numbers together and store it here. But if you don't say at the end of the program, okay, I don't need that anymore. You, you could store something else there. Um, you have memory that is not being allowed to go back to the system. So it can't be recycled again and you only have so much memory. So once your memory is full, weird, unpredictable things start happening. So. Yeah. And then on the hardware side, I don't know like what level of chips they've designed themselves and all this other stuff too, because I don't work for Boeing. Yeah. <laughs> Call me Boeing. No, but uh I don't know if like I don't know if they're using just like ASIC chips to run a bunch of stuff and just like duty built chips for like one specific purpose. In which case they can have what's I mean basically a state error where like your chip's supposed to say, Oh hey, this thing happened, therefore I should operate with this type of behavior. And it could be doing that inaccurately. Or it could be a level above that, which I don't know yet, which is basically like CPU design almost, where something's going wrong on that level of things. I don't know what their hardware looks like. Right. And who knows? I guarantee... I do know, I, I do know if I am... I think it's Airbus. Mm-hmm. Is that their competitor? I'm yes. laughing so hard right now. 
right to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I think it's funny uh, because, as you said, Grizzlo, uh, the power of the power button right there. You can turn it off, turn it back on again. Everything will work fine. Um, I'm glad they solved that. I'm glad that they figured out that you need to turn a blade on. Uh, but off again and on again. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Malaysia is just the new Bermuda Triangle. Oof. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's such a 2020 article. Oh, it's such a 2020 article. <laughs> like, but I and, and the, what was it? Is that the 787? Right. Yes, it was the 787. And was that the one that had all the issues, or is that the a different one? Uh, that was the eight, the seven eight, I believe the seven eighty seven Max. Max. Oh, let's Max. take a look. I because th- I'm curious if that also spilled into the Max. Because I mean, for almost what, certainly a year and a half. Uh, that that line of plane was having all kinds of issues for half that time at least. Uh, Boeing the seven thirty seven uh, Max. Oh, it was seven thirty seven Max, but. Okay. okay. You okay. really think airline technology changes a lot between planes? <laughs> I'd hope they wouldn't have to uh, turn their machines off and on again. Uh, and by machines, I mean planes that carry people. To be fair, um, updates for these planes are... I I may be wrong here, but I know in a lot of cases, some of these older planes, the, the software updates are actually still delivered on floppy disks. Oh, God. So, and I'm flying on these things. Yes, let me let me uh, check uh, oh. airplane. For the younger people in our audience, let's show them a picture <laughs> of a floppy disk. Because I know this is something I said last week. There's a bunch of people running around who don't know what a floppy disk is, and that uh, hurts my soul. This is a a seven forty seven, and I actually this was actually an article I, I read when it came out back in August. Uh, basically, seven forty seven still get critical updates via floppy disks. And this was a uh, article, a video through DevCon, actually. Um, and they actually went over all of the, the internal, like, workings, how the, the plane network worked, and all of that stuff. And you can, you can see, um, let me see, where is it? Uh, there was something here. Basically. That tech looked ancient. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this plane was, the plane is old. Um, come on. Where is it? There it is. Yeah, right, right here. <laughs> you can see that insert disc. <laughs> awesome. So disket storage. I mean, oh geez. I mean, I'll be honest. That's not like was, a huge negative thing. It, it was just introduced in 1988. So yeah, I mean, it's not as if listen. It's not as if floppy disks are like these hugely unreliable security risks or anything like that. Like they're probably they're just, they're, <laughs> no, they're just normal. They're a disc. It's, you know, magnetic bits stored on a disc that have been set a certain way. So you just put it in and it reads the bits. It's just looking at it. You, it dates it a little bit. Oh yeah. And uh, let me look up a picture of a floppy disc for people who don't know. Yes. Or actually show, it's the, same show, the, ch- show the children. <laughs> okay. Now you can say children. <laughs> yeah this is let's not, let's not, not go back now. into this this is what a floppy <laughs> disk looks like so i will define you my philosophy on this after the show i i'm gonna pretend i heard what uh, both of you said <laughs> i said i'll tell you my philosophy on this after the show all righty sounds good <laughs> and i said and i said that um these predated cds if anyone knows what cds are or dvds <laughs> 
but yeah. No, 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 no. Hold on. Discs were still in use like four years ago on like Xboxes and stuff. Kids still know what they are. I still remember uh, whenever you'd put one of these into the computer and the amount of noise it would make, it was always so much fun. <laughs> yeah, they're like, eh, they make eh, the computer go yeah. burr. Yeah, pretty much. And ah, computers fun, are too quiet. Funny now. story, too. The reason they're called floppy disks is because you had your uh, 3.5 and then 5 point something inch, I believe, form factor uh, floppy disks. And these two were actually floppy. So, like, you put it in your hand and you could wave it around. Like, it, it wasn't a solid piece of plastic like the, the standard 3.5 inch ones. So. I'm not old enough to remember the floppy floppy disks. I have been using computers for a very long time. <laughs> and the but computers I, I, I did use it. when I was younger were very, very outdated. And that is why I feel like I'm a relatively decent programmer. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so You kids and your 16 gigabytes of memory. <laughs> what about I remember, 16 I remember looking... I remember looking at my, or going through my parents' stuff, like their old cameras, and um, like the cameras that are for my childhood, you know, small four or five year old pictures were taken on, the cards were like 32 megabytes, like 64 megabytes. And I looked at it and I'm like, this is later on, this is probably when I was 15, 16, so six, seven years ago. but even still, I mean, it's just funny to think that 64 gig or not gigs, megabytes of memory could get you so much. Right. <laughs> and that's what yeah. it was. Right. Oh, it's even funnier to think about that. Uh, the first or not the first. What is it? The uh, iPod classic or the iPod video had like 32 gigabytes of memory or of storage rather. Mm-hmm. And then iPhones recently had like eight to 16 yeah it's it's funny to it's funny to to look back and see how the storage sizes on on sd cards and phones um it's just i'm pretty sure dramatically in in all fairness right i the the ipad just came out or apple just came out with the you know the new ipad pros and i believe they just introduced two terabytes on an ipad jeez yeah that's been it i think that would came in a phone like literally five years ago even still just that how like the fact that something that can i can hold in my hand that's just this big could it be you know oh no i'm just mocking apple it's crazy it's crazy it's it's insane this was i think it's this 256 and i this was the top of the line three years ago or whatever it was four years ago definitely technology technology moves technology moves it doesn't, it's not stagnant. That is for sure. And we're going to leave on that statement right there. We're going to move. And we're going to move off of the air. Uh, I'm going to move anyway, to get dinner. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I am starving. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much, um, Matt and Ryan, for being here today. Uh, really appreciate you guys contributing as always. It is always so much fun to do this. Um, we're going to be back soon with another episode of Tech Talk Nation. So tune in next time for more great tech news. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening and hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to Tech Talk Nation. Tune in next week for more discussion on the latest in tech.